The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. I am Matt Verderam. I am flying solo this time around. Patrick Allen, he abandoned us, folks. He is in Nashville at a podcast conference, which I know it sounds enthralling. I hope for his sake that it is. But in the meantime, I'm here. I'm back from my vacation, which, of course, also included, as you heard last week, me going to a National Sports Collectors Convention. So I really don't have any room to speak on what's exciting and what isn't. Yes, I was a nerd. OK, and I was proud to be one. I had a great time. Bought a lot of stuff. My wife didn't throw me out of the house over it. Times are good. Speaking about times being good, Kansas City Chiefs are in training camp, and there is a lot to get to. Throughout the episode, we are going to touch on Chiefs' offensive line, the defense looking pretty good. We're going to highlight a couple players out of that group, and then we're going to talk about the single most important thing so far that's happened in camp. I'll tease that, but we'll get to it here in a few minutes. First off, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, not just this one. But all of them, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, you can find the Arrowhead Attic podcast. And please leave a rating and a five-star review. It really helps us out quite a bit. There are a few I will get to of those as well, by the way. There are some questions that I will answer. So thank you so much for those of you who submitted any kind of question. Uh, it, It is genuinely appreciated. And so... Without further ado, let's get right into it. Look, we talked all offseason, really since the Super Bowl, about the Chiefs offensive line and how important the Chiefs offensive line is. And of course, it's important for any team. If you don't have a good line, you're going to struggle offensively. You're going to struggle overall. But when you're the Chiefs and you have a man in Patrick Mahomes who is making a half a billion dollars over the next 12 years, It is even more important to have a really good offensive line. And, of course, we saw that on full display in the Super Bowl when the Chiefs lost 31-9, didn't score a touchdown for the first time in Mahomes' career. He was running for his life all night long. Brett Veach went out and addressed those issues, and he did it in a very, very forceful manner. We all know, we don't have to go over it, but they get Brown, they get Tooney, a couple of draft picks. Well, how's it looking so far, right? That's what matters. So far, it looks as though you've got two rookies who are locked in. And we've talked about this on the podcast, dating back to the draft. Look, I've been talking to people around the team that say Humphrey and Smith have been everything you could possibly ask for and more. They've been starters really since they walked in. Humphrey specifically. Humphrey has been in the starting lineup since OTAs with with veteran Austin Blythe backing him up. Trey Smith was 
in the mix with, with LDT and with Chris Long. But now with, with Chris Long's injury, of course, that he sustained back in June, the lower leg injury, now you have Trey Smith, who is clearly in position to start. If he does not get hurt, he is going to start at right guard. Okay, that's going to happen. I it, It's my belief, and it's strictly my belief. This is not a source portion of this. I think LDT is going to be gone at the end of camp, whether they trade him, whether they cut him. Um, I don't know if there's a spot for him. And he's making a lot of money to be a backup guard. So I, I, I do not believe now. Now, if Long is still hurt, then maybe he's kept for a little bit. I don't see a huge reason to keep Duvernay Tardif. And I think you could get a pick for him. Not a great pick. You get a late round pick. Why not? Right? It's more capital. It's more, more currency. And we know Veach likes to wheel and deal. But I, I do firmly believe, look, four fits of this line is set. You've got Brown and Tooney on the left side. You've got Humphrey at, at the pivot. You've got Smith at right guard. Niang has been good. Remmers was initially starting for his back flared up on him. That is really the battle to watch here. Niang has gotten better as camp's gone on, according to Nate Taylor, a good friend of mine who works over the athletic. He's at camp every day. By the way, if you don't follow him, you should. Nate's A, a, a great guy. B, he's a great follow and really insightful. Um, and my understanding from just, again, talking to people just around the, around the organization, Niang is highly thought of. I think it's just that there's, there's competition there that with Humphrey and Smith, Humphrey and Smith have been so good that they've just separated themselves. I, I really believe that it, it's not so much that Niang is, is not doing well. It's that Humphrey and Smith are doing so well that they've just separated in terms of, yeah, sure, they're rookies, but they're not looking like that. So there's a chance you get three rookies right next to each other to start training camp. That's possible. You, you're, excuse me, to start the season. That's possible. You will have two rookies starting next to each other on the interior, again, unless somebody gets hurt. Now, the one thing that's become a concern here, I know in, in recent uh, days, you see some of these one-on-one Twitter videos come out, right, of, of, of just O-line, D-line drills, which to me are the most fun drills to watch in camp. And Orlando Brown has not looked particularly good in some of them. Okay, There, there was a, a speed rush by Tim Ward where he beat him clean. There have been some other issues. I would say this. You never want to get beat. I don't care if it's a one-on-one drill in practice or in a game. You don't want to get beat. I would also say that keep in mind, those drills favor the defensive lineman heavily because they're working in an infinite amount of space. Okay? And they have time to get home. They have two, three, four seconds. In a game, they're not working with infinite space. And they don't have three or four seconds usually. They've got maybe two. At the most, two and a half. That doesn't mean Brown doesn't need to be better. Just watching some of those some of those sets from him. Look, I'm not an offensive line coach. But it, to me, it's obvious that maybe he needs to take a little bit more of, of a better angle. And I think, and I think he will. I, if there's panic around Orlando Brown, I think it's misplaced. The guy is 24 years old and he's a two-time pro bowler. And I get it. It's a different scheme than Baltimore played. Obviously, Baltimore much more run heavy. He still had to pass block. Like, he still had to do that. He didn't give up a sack last year as a left tackle. So, I, I wouldn't freak out. Now, if you get in the games and he starts doing that kind of stuff, then, yeah, it's a big problem. I I would not panic over Orlando Brown having a couple of, of mediocre reps, bad reps, first few days of practice. I, I don't think there's any real cause for concern there. 
But it is something to watch. If you're going to talk about the positive, as I have with Humphrey and Smith, you have to also talk about the negative. Okay? And by the way, this is a good time for me to plug. Um, on Wednesday, next week, Wednesday, on Fanside.com, I'm writing a, a feature about the Chiefs offseason with a lot of inside insight um, that I hope you all read. Okay? It covers the, the whole offseason from – the Orlando Brown trade to the Joe Tooney signing to their draft, all of it. Um, I really, really done some research and some background on it. And if you're a Chiefs fan, if you're listening to this, you, you most certainly are. I think you'll really enjoy it. And it's been something I've, I've had the pleasure of putting together and I'm still putting together, as a matter of fact. And I think you'll have the pleasure of reading. So moving on from the offensive line, which even with the, the – quote-unquote, struggles of Brown, I think has looked very good so far. You look at the other side of the ball, which we've not really talked about that much because I think when you talk about the Chiefs, you, you immediately go to the offensive line and, then, of course, the, the men that they're, A, protecting or allowing to work downfield. So you're either talking about Mahomes or Edwards-Alaire or Hill or Kelsey or Hardman. The list goes on. But the defense is pretty damn important, okay? And this is a group that, has a pretty good amount of continuity coming into the year. Not a lot of huge losses in the offseason. Okay, they they did lose Brashad Breeland, which is probably, well, not probably, which is the biggest departure. All right, but other than that, a team that's pretty much back in, in, in form as it was a year ago. Now, they add Nick Bolton, second-round pick out of Mizzou, the linebacker. Okay, and we're going to get to the linebackers here in a second with Willie Gay as well. I think they're worth mentioning. If this is a group that does have a lot of continuity course now working in the third year under Steve Spagnuolo and so look I, I have one big takeaway so far from what we've seen early in camp if Chris Jones continues to look the way he's looked in camp he is going to be unblockable this year even beyond what we've seen from Chris Jones which is saying something considering the guys on a Hall of Fame trajectory okay Jones has been dominant and I mean dominant to this point you watch him, and it's almost unfair. There were a couple of one-on-one drills against Tooney where he just destroyed Joe Tooney. He's a pretty damn good player. But first we break. Before I get into more of this, we have to break to talk about our partners over at Manscaped. Right now, over at their website, you can get 20% off by using the code FANSIDE20. You also get free shipping and they've got a brand new fourth generation lawnmower, the Lawnmower 4.0. Look, guys, it's important to take care of yourself, to have some self grooming. It's also important not to hurt yourself, especially in that area. And anyone who's ever done it knows a little time and a little money investment goes a long way. It's well worth it. Manscaped is a great company. And I'll tell you firsthand the Lawnmower 4.0. You can't beat it. It's a really, really good investment. And let's be real. Life's all about making good investments. So go to Manscaped, manscaped.com, type in the code FANSIDED20, all one word, and you get 20% off of your order plus free shipping. Manscaped.com, FANSIDED20. It is an absolute must to make sure you're taking care of business the right way. All right, back to Chris Jones, back to the Chiefs. 
so far, Jones has been the star of camp. And, and that's saying something because, again, the line's been good. We're going to get to the linebackers here in a second who might be the biggest surprises at camp. But Jones has been great. And th- this is a guy who, of course, has been a great player to this point. He obviously earned a four-year, $85 million deal a year ago. He's a two-time Pro Bowler. All right, somebody who through five seasons, has 40 and a half sacks, including 15 and a half back in 2018. Last year had seven and a half. He's been a phenomenal player. Other than Aaron Donald, there has not been a better defensive tackle in the NFL since he's come into the league. Okay. That said, he's now obviously, as everybody knows, transitioning a little bit. He's going to play some D end. He slimmed down a little. I got to tell you, if you're watching any of these drills, he's not losing any power. He is destroying people. I mentioned before for the break in Tooney. Tooney is an all-pro guard. The highest paid interior lineman in NFL history. He has destroyed Joe Tooney on a couple of one-on-ones. Now, again, the, the defense has the advantage there. But Tooney's the kind of player who neutralizes that advantage. Jones has just destroyed him. It has been fascinating to watch him. He's so quick. He's so fast, both laterally and up the field. He's got a million different moves you can use. I can't wait to watch how the Chiefs use him in this defense. Because you know what, Spagnuolo, they're going to move him all over. He'll play inside. He'll play outside. And this is a line. That, this has been one part of the Chiefs offseason I think has gone under the radar in a major way. When you look at their front, it's the best it's been in years, in a very long time, okay? Because you have Jones. You've also got Clark, who is essentially in a contract year. Okay, we've talked about that before. Yes, he technically is two years after this, but the Chiefs can get out of the deal. And frankly, if he's not good this year, they will get out of the deal. But now inside, you have Jerron Reed on a one-year contract. Reed comes over after being cut by Seattle. I reported at the time, and I'll say it again. Most people in the league were absolutely floored. Seattle could not trade Jaron Reed. We're shocked. Shocked that he got cut. He had a lot of suitors. Uh, I know just from a bevy of different reports out there, Dallas was in on him. Buffalo was in on him. The Chiefs believe they got a full-blown steal with Jaron Reed. And he's looked the part so far in camp as well. So he gives you that interior rush. That when you kick Jones outside, you feel like, well, we might lose that one. Well, he's not Chris Jones, but he's a he's a borderline, if not flat out, a top 10 defensive tackle in this league. And then you have Derek Nottie inside, who, of course, he's a bull against the run. He's not going to give you a ton in terms of getting to the passer, but he is a great run stuffer. I mean, you're just talking a guy 315, 320 inside, who is going to clog up the middle. And if you're Kansas City and you got that front four on the field, A, you're tough to run against because of the guys inside, and Clark is an excellent run defender. And B, you now have three legit pass rushers on the field at all times. That is something the Chiefs have not had in a long time. And let's be real, last year, that was one of the things the Chiefs struggled with, right? You had Clark, you had Jones. There was no third guy. And if and if, if Clark wasn't having a good game or if Jones struggled, you could neutralize Kansas City's rush. And the Chiefs hit the blitz a lot. We saw that with Legarius Sneed off, off the slot. The slot corner blitz quite a bit, which worked. But when you do that, you roll the dice more. You open yourselves up to giving up bigger plays. And so look, if you can get home with that kind of a rush with only four guys, that's huge. That's really critical. And I think last year that was that was something 
that Kansas City really did struggle with quite a bit. It was it was hard for the Chiefs to get home. We talked about it week in and week out last season. And if you go back and look at the defensive numbers, okay, the Chiefs, in terms of hurry percentage, which I, I like because it, it doesn't just show sacks, but it shows how much you're affecting the quarterback. They were 19th in the league last year. Not great. Okay, 19th in the league. If you're just if you're just into sacks and where they rank there, they weren't much better than their hurry percentage. I mean, in, in fact, they were 19th. Right, they had 32 sacks. Their pressure rate, again, now this was a little bit better. And, I, and I, again, I like this number as well. They were 12th, 24.6, about once out of every four times. But they also blitzed a lot. Okay, they blitzed ninth most in the NFL. So, yes, those numbers were average in terms of sacks and, and, and pressure rate and hurry rate. Pressure was a little bit better than average. But they had to blitz a lot. If you can get those numbers into the top 10 or so and you don't have to blitz all the time, that's huge. That's a huge step up in class, and it makes your secondary better, which they might need because you lose Breland. I love Sneed. Ward, I think, is a number two corner, not more than that. Fenton's still a young guy who has not seen a ton of snaps defensively. So if you're the Chiefs and you can help out your secondary this year by not blitzing, that's that's great. You you might need that. Which now that we're talking about the entire defense and how it works in tandem and, and works together, now we get to the linebackers. The linebackers have been the biggest weak spot on this defense since Derek Johnson retired or left for the Raiders. Okay, which which let's let's not even talk about that for for both us and for Derek Johnson. It has been Anthony Hitchens the last couple of years, and it has been not much else. Damian Wilson's been okay. Ben Neiman has been a source of ire in the kingdom. The Chiefs have struggled on the second level, guarding backs, guarding tight ends, and that's shown up. You know, Rob Gronkowski in the Super Bowl had a couple of touchdowns at tight end. You know, in the past, Austin Eckler for the Chargers has really caused the Chiefs some consternation. They've not been able to handle backs and tight ends. And it's been a weak spot for them where teams have really gone after you. So I remember going to Super Bowl 54, Kittle, that was talked about a lot. And the Chiefs did some different things to try to neutralize him and did a good enough job. It worked. But if you can have a linebacker who can take out the tight end one-on-one in the pass game, that's enormous. And that's, again, something really since 56 left the Chiefs haven't had. So far in camp, it looks pretty good. It looks like the Chiefs might finally have an answer to that. Now, they drafted Willie Gay in the second round last year. You knew coming in he was going to be raw, did not have a ton of college experience. Willie Gay has been really, really good in camp thus far. Now, unfortunately, he's in the concussion protocol. Hopefully, he's back soon. Hopefully, everything checks out and he's okay. But when he's been on the field, he's been great in camp. He has been the defensive star. Okay, I, Tyron Matthew on Twitter was, was shouting him out about how great he's been. And you, you see it in the clips. And really what it is, his speed is phenomenal. And that was something we all saw last year. I remember the Atlanta game in December where he got a lot of run. And it was just evident he was the fastest defender on the field, it almost felt like at times. So it's it's a huge opportunity for him with Damian Wilson gone. Ben Neiman is still there, yes. But I, I think the Chiefs would be happy to upgrade that position if given the opportunity. And so if you're Kansas City, 
You desperately want to see good things out of Nick Bolton. You desperately want to see good things out of Willie Gay. And so far you have. Bolton's had a couple of picks off Mahomes. One looked like it was a miscommunication with Noah Gray. But Bolton had to make a really nice play. Extended his arms out. Was able to catch the ball. Was in good coverage to begin with. Basically on the play, Gray was supposed to stop and kind of go out. It was like an option route. And he ended up cutting inside. And and, and so the miscommunication happened there. The point is... Kansas City has invested in the linebackers the last couple of years with these second-round picks. It looks in camp as though that's starting to pay dividends. Look, we're not going to know for sure until the season starts and we see how they play these kids and how many snaps do they get per game and so on and so forth. But the early returns are a hell of a lot better than if we're sitting here going, yeah, they look like crap. They look good. So it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs incorporate them. You know, the Chiefs love to play like most teams these days, a ton of sub-packages. Don't expect there to be a whole lot of three linebacker looks. It's probably going to be two linebackers, you know, a lot of 4 2 5. You'll get some dime where, where you have maybe a 3 2 6 or a 4 1 6. And so Hitchens is going to be on the field most of the time, if not all of it. So, how much does, does Willie Gay get, get to play? How much uh, do we see out of Nick Bolton? But I think if you're the Chiefs, you've got to be encouraged by what you've seen so far. That is, of course, a nice way to get the summer rolling. And then, look, at the top of the show, I mentioned I was going to say the biggest thing so far that has happened for the Chiefs. And here it is. They don't have any major injuries. Right now, Willie Gay is probably the biggest concern with the concussion, as awful as it is to have a concussion, which is a brain injury. You hope he can return and, and you know, won't affect him for the regular season. The Chiefs don't have any injury issues that you look at and go, Oh, that's not good. You know, they're not the Colts. It feels like every year there's one or two teams in camp that just get decimated. The Colts so far, unfortunately for them, have been that team. The Chiefs, yeah, you know, Hill missed a couple days with a little bit of tendonitis in his knee. He came back uh, as you know on Wednesday morning as I record this in the afternoon. Juan Thornhill back at practice. Mike Remmers, you know, the back is probably the biggest concern the Chiefs have in the sense it's a 300-pounder with a little bit of a back problem in his 30s. Like, that's not great. And, and we saw... Last year, Mitchell Schwartz, he had a back injury. They, oh, it's, you know, it's day-to-day. He, he never played again. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Mike Remmers is all of a sudden not, not going to play again. He might, he might come back tomorrow. I'm just saying when you have somebody who's over 300 pounds with a back injury in their 30s, it's something to monitor. Like, I'm more worried about that than I am about Alex Okafor's hamstring. I'm sure he'll be fine. But by and large, Kansas City has to feel pretty good about its health situation. Thankfully, knock on wood, nobody has gone down with any kind of injury that you go, oh, that's season ending or he's going to miss half the season. We've got to put him on the pup list. I am a firm believer when you're a contending team, and really when you're any team, but especially a contending team, the most important thing about training camp, the only win and loss that I care about, including the preseason games, how healthy are you? If the Chiefs don't score a point in their three preseason games and they get beat 100 to nothing in every one of them, but they come out of it healthy, they won the preseason. None of the rest of this crap matters. They play the Niners on the 14th. Let me tell you something. A lot of people are going to be watching that game. I believe it's nationally televised. Okay, It's a game where you have Trey Lance, who everybody's buzzing about right now nationally. hear a lot of good things about him. I don't, From a Chiefs standpoint, I don't care if Trey Lance throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns. I don't care. It does not matter. Can you tell me what the Chiefs record was in the preseason each of the last two years? Because I can't. And it worked out okay. 
it doesn't matter. It, what the Chiefs do in the preseason is about as important as what they do tomorrow in a scrimmage. It's irrelevant. All that matters is that they get out of the, the, the summer healthy. And to this point, on August 5th, got a long way to go, five weeks of the season, to this point, they're healthy. And so I, I think so far, the training camp for the Chiefs has been a success, A, because they're healthy, B, because the linebackers look good, C, because the offensive line, with a little caveat with Orlando Brown, has looked terrific. And so I think you have to feel good about where things are at this point. As we head into, I believe, nine days away, yes, nine days away from the first preseason game. I'm actually going to be out in San Francisco. I fly out that day. Who knows? Maybe I'll go to the game. Um, I, I've never believed in really paying a ton of uh, mind to the preseason. I'll watch the games. Even if I don't go to the game, I'll end up watching it because I cover the league. It's kind of my job. But I will tell you this, nine days out, don't worry about it. Whatever happens, it happens. Don't get too worked up. Now, let's wrap up here by getting to a few of the uh, latest podcast reviews. The latest one, actually, on August 2nd, was uh, was left about Sterling and Connor, who, by the way, do a great job, and I'll leave that one for them, as it was, I think, meant for them. Uh, let's see, Mahomes-esque podcast uh, from Bronson, five-star. Thank you so much, Bronson. It's Mahomes-esque. I don't think I'll ever get a better compliment in my life. Patrick Allen is listenable, and Matt Verdon brings great insider information. I enjoy this podcast. really look forward to its drop each week. Also, when you guys are off subject, at least you're entertaining. Thank you very much. I know you guys live for the, uh, the serial takes. Some of you may love them. Some of you may hate them. All of you, thank you for listening. I have two questions for you today. Do you think if the Chiefs use more power gap blocking, they'll return to a 75-80% TD rate in the red zone? Also, I've noticed the screen game declining over the last two seasons. I think it's likely to stay there because defenses are playing so much zone and identify them more quickly. Do you agree? First of all, Bronson, I love those questions. Those are great knuckles-in-the-dirt football questions. My answer, I'll start with the first one, with the power gap blocking. I think the Chiefs are going to be better in the red zone for a few reasons this, this year. Number one is, I do think they'll use more power because of who they, they brought in. That line in, in recent years, while it has been good at times, right, like with Fisher and Schwartz, especially on the edges, they've been a finesse line. And that's finesse is a dirty word in football. But what I mean by that is, They've been bad in short yardage situations because they've been more athletic. They're not meant to just grind out six feet, you know, inch by inch, yard by yard. It's not what they've been meant to do. They've been meant to be athletic, to get out in space. This line, while I do think it can get out in space a little bit, especially the younger guys, this is a line that is meant to maul you up front. You watch Trey Smith play. That man looks furious every time he fires off the ball. I think Kansas City is going to be much better running the ball in short yardage and in tight situations. And the red zone mirrors that because there's so many guys bunched up toward the line of scrimmage just simply because there's not as much field to defend. When you're down there, and Bronson, I know you know this just from judging from the, the way you ask these questions, you need to be able to blow guys off the ball. There's, you can't trick people as much because there's, there's not as much room to trick them. So, yes, I, to answer your question, yes. I do believe they'll be much better in the red zone offensively this year because that is something that was an obvious issue for them at times last season. It has been in the past, even beyond last season. Yes, I think they'll run the ball better because they got four new guys up front, maybe five in the Yang starts. 
where I think they are going to be much more confident. Hey, it's third and one, it's third and two, it's second and goal at the three, let's pound the rock. And I think they'll be able to move the ball. As far as your other question, I'll actually go the other way on this, Bronson. I think the screen game will come back a little bit. Now, I agree with you. Whenever you're playing against zone, it's much harder, right? Because at that point, guys aren't turning their backs to turn and run. It's You know, guys are in a specific assignment to a portion of the field. Yes, it becomes more difficult. That said, I do believe with this offensive line, it is more athletic with Humphrey inside. Smith is a guy who can get out and make plays. You watch his tape at Tennessee, he can do that. Tooney's a guy who can get out in space. And Brown's a mountain of a man. So I actually do think you will see more of the screen game. I agree it's harder because teams do play so much zone against Kansas City that it is difficult. But I do believe that you'll see a little bit more of the screen game than you have in recent years. Maybe not as much as you saw with the Alex Smith years uh, because of the reason you mentioned. But I think we'll see more. Last year, the Chiefs just had no cohesion offensively, and their interior play was a mess. If your interior play is not good, you're not running screens. And I think that's why it went away uh, so much. So I, I think I think that's uh, that's what we'll see. Gamer, uh, 16468, great podcast, five stars. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and and I, I see that you say Count Chocula needs to be a four-season serial. You're right. It's a disgrace. Um, the serial company, my God, step it up. Uh, IDK and a whole bunch of numbers. Just keep it up. I dig Patrick Allen's style. Seems like a genuine guy and a good hang to grab a beer with. I can confirm that. I have had many a beer with Patrick Allen, and he is indeed a very good hang, and he's a great guy. Uh, one of the best you, you'll ever get to know. So... Um, Let's see. Love this podcast. Uh, these guys in our field deliver awesome content. I'll skip right to the main portion of this, though. However, heard something I can't get over. How can a guy say he hates banana? Please explain this insane statement, Matt Verdam. Is banana you hate or banana-flavored things? Chocolate and banana together cannot be beat. Batman, I'm sorry. I just hate bananas. I hate the texture. I hate the, It's mushy. I'm not... A, not, and by the way, I feel you know, to, to bring it back to our core audience here, which of course is the cereal connoisseur, I don't like soggy cereal either. Never been my deal. If it, if it's soggy, I'm out. I'm out of me. It's why I'm not a big Frosted Flakes guy. Like I eat cereal pretty fast. I don't like soggy stuff. And I feel like banana and just just can't get into it. I wish I could because a banana split. Like if you like banana, they look amazing, right? Like I'd sit there and eat banana splits all day. I just sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I'm weird. It is what it is. I just can't get into it. Um, all right, let's see. We got a few, one more to get to here um, from pulpit, uh, pulpit historian. Excuse me. Love Patrick and Matt. Been listening to the podcast about a year. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Love the cheese talk. Love the cereal and food talk. But love the engagement the most. Uh, Patrick and Matt do a great job connecting with their listeners over social media. By the way. Uh, and, and also, he says, love the expansion to more content by Sterling and Matt Connor as well. Again, those guys are great. An incredible listen. If you're on Twitter, hit me up. Hit me up. I'm on Twitter way more than I should be. At Matt Verderam, V-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. All day, every day. Hit me up. Ask me a question. Make a comment. Say, hey, happy to do it. Happy to engage. Um, and he gives his serial rankings, which I'll, just, I'll go through quick. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, number one, of course, yes, the greatest of all time. Fruit Loops with marshmallows. A dangerous game to throw marshmallows into such an iconic cereal, but fair enough. I do like marshmallows in my cereal. Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs, phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, I think four Golden Grams. I agree, I like that as well. And then nine, as he lists some other ones. Frosted Mini Wheats. Yeah, yeah, 
again, it gets soggy. That's the problem I got. That's the problem I got. So, all right. For everyone who did comment, thank you so much. If you haven't already, please comment. Um, would, would really appreciate any comments, questions. If you have questions, we'll answer them. Five-star ratings, much appreciated. The, the podcast has done really, really well on iTunes. And uh, we can't thank you enough for your support. As we get ready for a third season here where Kansas City, or we hope anyway, a third season where they try to get to the Super Bowl in a row. It's just impossible. I'm th- I turned 33 years old yesterday. I, if you had told me three years ago that they'd get to a Super Bowl once, I never would have believed it. Now they're going for a three-peat of the AFC and two Super Bowl championships in three years? Insane. But listen, we will be right back here next week, normal time on Thursday. I said it was Wednesday earlier. I've lost my mind. Thursday. We'll be back on Thursday. Patrick Allen, Matt Verderam. Here to keep talking Chiefs. We'll be previewing their first preseason game. At that point, it'll be two days away. So thank you so much for listening to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. For Patrick Allen, I am Matt Verdon. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.